Hello, my fellow mods, and welcome to The Perspecta. I'm your host, John O'Neill, and in association with DC Hillier and MCM Daily, this is our first conversation with an expert in a singular designer, and we have fully covered Paul McCobb. As always, we're joined by my good friend and auto-tuner, Greg Gibaldi, as well as DC Hillier. Luckily today, we were able to capture a sliver of time in the very busy schedule of a museum exhibitor, as well as someone who has really helped make Paul McCobb's designs available once again. We welcome you into this focused and engaging conversation with Samuel Hildreth. I like hey, the background. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, Great awesome. idea. Yeah. Dude, good to have you. Yeah. Was there a lot of uh, a lot of setup and or coaching needed when you were trying to bring these folks at the museum through the setup and, and sort of your your design that you actually laid out? So that's a good question. Uh, I asked them for dimensions of the exhibit space um, before I even started. And I was like, you know, I want pictures and dimensions. And uh, I drew it up in CAD because I had already had all the dimensions for all of my furniture because, yeah. you know, that's what I do. I look at the catalogs and I have all that information. Yeah. Um, so I drew it up and I kind of laid it out and was trying to tell a story with the way the flow of the room goes Yeah. from, uh, you know, early on and simple designs and then kind of working through the the um, the philosophy sure. of his designs, and then uh, you kind of stroll around. You get into later on in the exhibit, you see some about futurism uh, and you know his sort of outlandish designs and uh, designs for you know the mass markets, not just for the homes, but uh, for sure. for industrial use and stuff too. And so that cool. was kind of cool. I, I mean, I didn't have to do a ton of coaching. Um, I handed over a lot of my documents to the museum uh and just said here you know do your thing yeah they, uh, I, carefully carefully <laughs> yeah uh and i back check their information and stuff for the most part cool uh, and they they handled just about everything they were awesome if, Beautiful. You, if you get the chance to work with a museum i recommend it it's it is so cool seeing other people handling your stuff mm. uh it is a bizarre feeling seeing the couch that you have slept on right. uh, in a museum. Uh, it's like move the dog or move the, move the animals and yep. uh, you know, dust it off and, and let these movers take it over to the museum. Yeah. My dog is a, she's got black hair and I was pulling <laughs> uh, black dog hairs off the uh, lampshades yes. the day before the exhibit opened. Yeah. Awesome. You know. This is a collector turned exhibitor. The things you got to do. Authentic, you know? Well, I mean, Sam, official welcome. If you want to just just briefly, which specific museum is it? You know, when's it running? Um, You know, let's let's plug you a little bit and then uh, we'll keep talking about that story. You know, the the flow that you laid out. I'm I'm really interested in that. Thanks, John and Greg, uh, for having me. I really appreciate it. My exhibit, uh, Paul McCobb, America's Designer, is on display right now through January 7th, 2022. Uh, It is uh, six bucks. Um, There's discounts for (laughs) seniors and uh, members of the museum. 
uh, active military, I think, are free for the summer. Kids are even cheaper. So, yeah, come on to Johnson County Museum in Overland Park, Kansas. Very cool. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, my I've been to a number of museums, not enough that are furniture related, quite frankly. I went, I went in Denmark. There's a, I believe it's a furniture museum and that was, that was great, but not as much storytelling. So it's cool to hear that you, you, I mean, had the depth of knowledge, number one, to understand sort of, uh, chronologically how maybe the designs changed a little bit but why don't you give us like some of the highlights and then uh you know what we can do is is try to preserve you know send us some photos we'll try to preserve it as we're talking we can uh, we can put that together visually yeah sure one of the highlights for me is behind me over here uh if you're <laughs> watching this podcast yeah uh is a, a screen print that paul mccod made in 1960 uh for friends and family we know of about five that still exist um, and that's hangs on my living room wall. Uh, I love it. I think it's so cool to have something Beautiful. that, you know, was made by Paul McCobb and it's signed and the real deal. Um, yeah. not, not from a factory. Um, some of the other highlights you'll see in the museum. Uh, I've got a collection of radios, uh, that oh, Paul wow. McCobb designed for CBS Columbia. Mm-hmm. They, at the time were the world's smallest tube radio, uh, that, cool. Uh, not easy. I mean, Greg, Greg knows about tubes. It's not easy to uh, yeah. to make them small and no, prevent they, them from heating up either. <laughs> they, yeah, exactly. And they'll yeah, even the small ones will weigh like forty pounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, transistor radios quickly replaced them. Mm, they, yeah, exactly. they did not sure. stay in the market very long. Yes, and so I've got uh, one of two uh, complete sets that we know of. Uh, they came in four colors, and there's uh, they, the other complete set was sold at auction a few years ago, and uh, I've got the other complete set. There you go. Hey. Oh, it's been a hot, long day. Good to see you. Good to see you. Likewise. The other two, not so <laughs> Becoming normal. <laughs> a, little, a little too much, yeah. You know, I don't know. I'm um, but, but Sam, yeah, I, I, um, I'm curious as far as the radios go and, and anything that you've collected multiple you know, versions of whether it's the origami chair, um, some of the other items, is that you seeking them, right? Or, or does there become a point where people know you're the guy and, you know, they, they start to, to come to you and say, you know, is this something you're looking for, you know, that you want to add to your collection? Yeah. So becoming the guy is not easy. It takes years. (laughs) Uh, I, I was the guy hunting for anything and everything for probably seven or eight years before I kind of really made a name for myself in the small community that we have. Sure. Um, but yeah, since starting the exhibit and starting to doing some of these, uh, press PR things, sure. uh, I've, I've been flooded with people coming to me and saying, Hey, uh, do you still want to buy this? You know, <laughs> or what do you think about this? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, uh, come, come <laughs> my way. Um, that's awesome. You know, so it takes a while and it yeah. is fun. It is fun being one of the guys that people know to come to, but you know, there's also an expectation of always being on, you know, with it. That yeah. It's hard to turn off. Um, <laughs> <you know. laughs> yeah. Once, once you've started the fire hose, 
It's, I have a question now, uh, it's, Sam. It's oh, tough thanks. to turn off. Yeah, sure. Go for it. On becoming the guy, right? I am the <laughs> Samuel <Clare> Hildreth. Yeah. <laughs> Museum <laughs> exhibit. Yeah, I'm becoming the, Clare, the guy. <laughs> I'm the Claritone guy, right? So that's, right, right. that's who he is. Do you find, though, Sam, that people have an automatic expectation that you are a free source of information about anything macabre? They do. Um, I probably helped that expectation, though. From an early on sure. side, me and jo Jonathan Goldstein, uh, he's another uh, macabre guy, probably mm. even bigger than me. We kind of collectively decided that we will release information freely when we see fit, because there were still some designs we didn't really want the general public to know about. But if, you know, for the most part, we as collectors decided we're going to give this information away freely because it helps us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it, we want to help other people. Uh, it does us no good hiding this information for the most part. And we wanted to become the guys. We wanted to be the <laughs> go-to sources. Sure. And so giving that information away freely really helps us solidify that, that notoriety as mm -hmm. the ones to go to. Sure. And it's the, it's the right mission. And, and DC has previously in our conversations said that as well. Uh, that it, it really is about education and it's about sharing. Now, there is a line, though, DC. It sounds like that that's kind of what you're alluding to. Well, for um, instance. You know, when it when it's becomes a little abusive, right? <laughs> I, think it's, I mean, people are curious and they want to know, and sure. I will always volunteer information. Uh, but there isn't that much to know about claritums. There are three different scenarios. This is all you need to know. Uh, whereas macabre, there are hundreds and hundreds of different things, some more rare than others and some more expensive or valuable than others. I think, though, as we've said before, and, and Sam, I wonder if you've ever come across this where somebody has approached you, for instance, with a piece, maybe they're looking to sell it. Uh, perhaps you recognize it, say, as one of the more valuable or rare pieces of macabre. Do you have buyer's guilt if you get it too cheap? I mean, I know it's a rather frank question, but or would you rather that person benefit from it, say, by sending it to auction or something like that? You know, that, that it's really tough. Every piece is different. I have, for the most part, not had buyer's guilt. My grandfather was an antique dealer, and huh. he instilled Starts it. Starts early. Yeah. It does. Uh, we were after different things, though. Sure. Uh, you know, um, and he kind of, he, he taught me that it's not my responsibility to educate you on what those things are. I've done the homework, um, so, you know, I should be able to reap those benefits. And that's the mentality I had for a very long time. Um, but now that I have all the stuff, now that I don't need any more, uh, little satiated, yeah, yeah. <laughs> take now a breather. I'm, yeah, now I'm happy to just give the information away freely and and let people know what they have. And that manifested in a yeah. museum yeah. exhibit. I mean, yeah. in, in a in a grand form. You know, I, I do want to continue on the on the journey, but. I'd love to to zero in on that moment where you probably had a few conversations and this this seemed like it was going to move forward, right? What led up to that and and how are you feeling in, in that moment? Sure. Um, this was a long process. Uh, we had probably started a year and a half before we were initially supposed to start. Uh, which was going to be last April uh, of uh -huh. 2020. 
Uh, and then with COVID hitting, we just decided, you know, we're just going to put it on pause. We had already had a lot invested into this. Yeah. Uh, we're just going to push it back a year, which was fine for me. Everything was already at the museum. Except they had my goddamn furniture. <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, I moved in with my fiance. And so uh, it, it kind of worked out great that I didn't have to uh, put my furniture in storage. <laughs> right. they, they already had it for me. So it was a long time coming and I had to keep quite a bit of it kind of a secret, you know, not really sure. like uh, fully hiding everything, but, you know, I didn't, don't want too much coming out too soon because things always change and I don't want to get expectations to sure. to be changing. Um, leading up was great though. Uh, I the We did pretty much all of the setup the week before, you know, exhibits come and go and you don't want to have your exhibit space empty for very long. Uh, so they, they really set up everything in a week. Uh, the kitchen cabinets were in my basement on Tuesday and then were set up, uh, the next day in, in the museum, uh, with, wow. with the movers, but Did they a, actually hang them. Was it? No. So, okay. uh, it's completely freestanding. Wow. Uh, and it took three of us to, uh, <laughs> assemble them. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a really weird feeling seeing your stuff behind glass or seeing it behind ropes. Uh, <laughs> on on Friday, they gave me a talk and said, "Okay, now is the last time you can touch your stuff for the next <laughs> year." Uh, you know, because you, you don't want the general public seeing you touch your own things. That encourages them to uh, touch things too. Sure. Uh, and so really relinquishing control over your own stuff for a year is really weird. <laughs> yeah. The odd experience. I can and, and you, you know, we've chatted a little bit before you've mentioned that it really came about because of your connection with what is it? The Casey modern organization yeah. you're part of. Yeah. Casey modern is a, a historical preservationist group here in Kansas city. And, you know, we just advocate for, the preservation of uh, modern buildings and architecture and furniture or whatever yeah. uh, in our, in our area. And so I had kind of shopped this idea around with the, with, within my group and saying, sure. Hey, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm starting to uh, have a lot of furniture want? here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, at the time, one of the board members had a, a business in downtown Kansas city and he had sort of a open space. And I said, Hey, you know, what if we, you know, did a weekend show? Um, yeah. And he was like, well, okay. And, you know, I was willing to pay for it, but uh, just sort of a pop up that didn't really work out. Um, and then another board member works for another university around here and they were all for it. Uh, but I would have had to pay for all the expenses, all the moving, all the set building, all the yeah. signage. And I was like, it's not worth it to me if I've got to pay for it. Well, yeah, you know. that, and then the, you know the the burden is really on you to do all the promotion as well. All of that takes considerable effort, time, and resource. Um, it would have been really cool to see in an educational environment and have yeah. student eyes on it uh, from that aspect. But really, um, that's why the entrance for students is only five fifty, right? I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, another board member uh, finally chimed up and said, hey, I know the director at the museum. Why don't we ask them? And they did. And they loved the idea. And two years later, here we are doing an exhibit all, all on Palma Cub. For real. 
No, that's that's awesome. It's it's great to hear. Look, I I think you sort of have to put out your intentions pretty early. I mean, DC knows that I certainly was <laughs> persistent about our our sort of vision here, I, and I, I said, yeah, I had a I had a plan for you. I will just <laughs> ignore you till you go away, and you didn't go away. And I had talked about doing, uh, and I had talked to you about it, but uh, doing a YouTube channel. And then when you came around, and you have this plan, like you have this. Here's a 68-page dossier of my plan <laughs> to do this. And I thought, this, this, I think I said kid. This kid might be on to something. Let's do it. Johnson. But I wasn't going to do it. I want, it was going to be your project. You get to choose most of the guests, for instance, stuff like that. And I'm here just to be annoying and swearing at the computer. That's what, <laughs> that's what I'm for. Sam, you, you need partners. And it, yeah. it sounds like you really found a great partner, uh, a great home temporarily for your for your stuff for a bit. So... You know, c- you, congrats I, on I, that I, one project you have. Yeah, going. thank you. I can share the experience because when the Claritone show took place uh, in 2008, half of our collection was in the show. And we we didn't put on the show ourselves. It was done by, for the launch of the book. So they, they took care of it. And it is a weird thing when there's a red velvet rope around the stereo you listen to every day. And that, but nobody was uh, following the rule that you shouldn't touch the equipment. So speakers rotate. People would grab them and turn them, and, and I remember because I was looking at when I got the we got our main stereo home with all the other stuff back in the storage. There was a dent in one of the speakers, and which is nothing. We get them dented all the time. Part of restoring them is taking the dents out. Sure. And uh, however, and so, someone did tell me when they were <laughs> uh, vacuuming or something around. It wasn't a. Um, it was actually someone who worked at the museum that did it. And uh, but it was nothing. But it is weird to uh, have your stuff somewhere else, the stuff that you treasure essentially. Um, but hey, people got to see it. That show was visited. I don't know, eighty thousand people went to see that show. So, wow! A and we That's had a, and a few good sales came out of that. So amazing. Anyways, this is Claritone. We're just sick of it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> they're probably never, no, stay. No. You got to stay in that honeymoon Sam, phase you, with this. Are you stuff ever going to be tired of macabre, Sam? As long as you can. That's, that's, a, a, good that's a good question. I don't know that I'll ever get tired of his designs. I may get tired of owning a few pieces uh, or owning too many pieces, uh, <laughs> but I've never gotten tired of looking at his designs. There is a design of his that is absolutely, it's almost looks, it's so minimal. It looks like a line drawing. And it's just wrought iron vanity. And it's just, it, it does look, you know, I'm, I actually, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, but it is such a striking piece of design where you say, what is the absolute minimum you can make an object? And if you think about it, I'm looking at it going, oh, it's like the, the, the Soviet deconstructivist almost. Give as much volume as a, with as little mass as possible. Have you, did you have, do you have that one, uh, Sam? I've, I do have one of the, the mirror vanities right now cool. uh, that's, that's part of that. Um, and I'm acquiring a shelf from the same line here pretty soon. Once now, will collect- you sneak that one in the exhibit <laughs> once? It- <laughs> I- <laughs> it's probably fully locked, right? Yeah. Uh, so a week before the exhibit was supposed to start, well, did start, um, someone came to me and said, hey, I have these lamps. Uh, would you want to buy them? And can you get them into the exhibit? And I right. said, no. <laughs> we are we are locked. I would yeah. love to have those lamps, uh, but I think if the museum director, um, if I asked the museum director one more time about adding something, they would uh, they'd wring my neck. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it seems you know you, you really set it up. It seems like as a as a room. I actually I went to an exhibit at the museum the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens, and it was a Mad Men exhibit, and they set up Don Draper's office. And I really do think that it it helps you to feel the full environment and the atmosphere when it's set up that way. And it seems like you know going back to the storytelling that that was really purposeful. Um, do you sort of, you know, sort of go room to room? Um, so you know, as, we, you're, as you're walking through, we would have loved to have done that. We just didn't have the, the space section. for yeah, yeah. a lot of rooms. Uh, so at the back of the exhibit space, uh, we have set up a dining room, kitchen area, uh, right. and a living room. Very uh, cool. You'll within the museum. Yeah, within the museum, there's actually a whole house, uh, that was brought in to the museum. It was a, all electric house. So it was one of the first houses in the county that was electrified. And wow. uh, it was sort of a promotional thing, right? So you'd come in and you'd walk through the house and feel um, air conditioning. You push a button and the painting on the wall would slip behind the wall and reveal a, a television. Is that um, the Westinghouse all electric home? Yeah. So there were yeah, several of them, cool. but yeah, we have one here in the museum. Leave it to DC. Uh, <laughs> and uh, well, those so, children live better electrically. Yeah, they uh, they let me bring in some of my macabre items into the home as well. Cool. So uh, cool. dishes and a chair and uh, a lamp in there. So you get to really see like it in more of a true environment. Yeah. Whereas in the exhibit space, it's a really clean, well lit showroom type atmosphere. But in the all electric house, it's more of how people would have actually lived with with the furniture. That's great. So you mentioned Mad Men. Actually, the producer, um, one of the producers of the show, she contacted me and said, uh, we'd like to have a Claritone, a Project G on the show. And she said, can we have it in three days? And I'm like, not a chance. You can't. Like, <laughs> yeah. we, we can't, you could fly you it in overnight. Yeah. But um, one of my favorite things about Mad Men is uh, uh, pointing out the anomalies. Like, oh, that lamp didn't exist in that year. You're a little two years ahead of yourself on that. Oh, wow. And, stuff. and there's that's fine. They're not historians. But I love the fact that that show, as far as doing things real, watch the show and you will not see any real design superstars. It's the everyday average stuff. And that's what makes the show work. It's yeah. not like, ooh, it's Neem's Lounge and there's a Noguchi coffee table. They would sort of take over the show because people were right. watching for the design. So why not have something more background? Most design, middle America was just... Everyday stuff, and that's sort of what they tried to focus on um, in yeah. the earlier years, especially. It anyway. was a you know big big inspiration for me, absolutely, in, in advertising, and then you know subsequently um, really helped to to fuel my obsession. I guess we're at obsession, right? We started a podcast. It's uh, it's it's real here. <laughs> so, Sam, how do you find running running the mid century modern group? How do you like herding uh, yeah. those cats? <laughs> <laughs> so, the mid century modern group has been. It's been fun. I'll say fun for the most part. Um, you it almost is, went like this. Yeah, I, I want to yeah, know right. about the drama. To, let's uh, let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> let's make some good TV here. Um, it's up to uh, 132,000 members right now. Uh, we hit 100,000 yeah, not too long ago. I think uh, early last year we hit 100,000 members now. So we're growing pretty quick. Um, it's it's changed a lot. When DC was first started, there was no admin controls, not a lot of admin controls. And so everyone just posted anything and everything to the group. 
Um, and yeah. since then, Facebook has gotten a little bit smarter and we have been able to filter out what gets allowed into the group. Sure. And so we, as admins and moderators, sort of... Oh, you're saying there was no controls There was available. not really controls. Oh, wow. you could You could delete uh, comments and uh, posts after the fact. Sure. Um, but when it first started, you you really couldn't approve posts. And so now we have that function and we can sort of filter out things that shouldn't be in the group based on our guidelines. When I was the admin there, you spent half your day just deleting inappropriate posts. That's all you couldn't. Again, to have the pre-approval would have been amazing. I can tell you that. Uh, But yeah, it's a lot better now. I don't run any group. I just run my page right now, which also has similar controls as well. It's just a lot less of a headache. Also, I'll never ever want to be asked is this MCM ever again? <laughs> yeah. Luckily, there's been that a few a Facebook groups that have started uh, that sort of help answer that question. Yeah. Right? Uh, I try we, go to the identification groups. I would yeah. love to know how many spinoff groups from the MCM Daily group. There was a lot of people that one person started the Kitsch group, which is actually very nice, because they, they saw mid-century modern as being fun and, you know, a little more kitschy, as I say. And, uh, you know, atomic. Uh, that was sort of the thing sure. they were looking for. Whereas I came in with my sort of sensibility of history and teaching and education, and that went over like a lead balloon. Um, <laughs> you got you got to do a little bit of both, right? And that's right. And a little flash, guys, Sam. Two, you and uh, two people into right being now, educated <laughs> are, are just doing a great job. The, the group seems oh, thank you. Way less formal. People seem a lot happier there. I mean, you still get a level of snark that, that only that group can produce. But uh, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, good job, guys. Yeah, thank you. I won't name it, uh, but there was uh, another Facebook group created uh, that was sort of in retaliation from uh, from all the people that we kicked out of the group. Oh my god! Uh, really? And that uh, must that, be an awful group. It, it's like the He-Man cool. Woman Haters Club. <laughs> yeah, they they were not very the He-Man happy moderators with us. Uh, uh, <laughs> It's it's calmed down quite a bit now that we do have the control of mm-hmm. uh, allowing more filtered things through the group. Uh, yeah. But when it was completely open and we were just kicking people out for breaking rules, uh, they they formed another group of uh, of just people who were mad at us. You remember the uh, nickname for the group? Uh, I do know the the nickname. Uh, <laughs> the one we have is uh, called All Caps. We're All Caps. Oh, now, to, to <laughs> differentiate us from the other mid-century modern groups. I didn't start the group. People often think I did. Uh, it was another guy who was simply documenting, living in Toronto, near Toronto, who was documenting the renovation of his 50s home. And when he handed it over to me, it was like 3,000 people. And at the time, he had simply typed in all caps, mid-century modern, three separate words. And I think we got to like 20,000 members. And I, I got so tired of people all caps, especially in other groups, criticizing, making fun. I thought, you know, I'm going to change it. I'm going to throw them for a loop and change all caps to regular, upper, and lowercase. But once you pass 10,000 members, <laughs> yeah, once you pass 10,000 members, you can't change the name of the group. You can't oh, even wow. alter the spelling. So it had to stick. So, and then sort of like gay pride, you wear the name, but you know, it's like 
queer culture. We're taking back the words. Like, and I felt the same way about all caps. I'm taking back all caps. Thank you. Yeah. It's a point of pride. I don't think people really use that term anymore. I, no, I don't think so. Well, I, yeah. don't, I did after a while. I you, said, guys want, you guys want out, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah we, any, we want. The, the, the preeminent group. Uh, we recommend We recommend everybody certainly go join if you're somehow listening to this before you've joined that group. I mean, I... I loaded up on on groups and I I treated them as my education. I, I got to be honest. I mean, I've always thought about and that's this is kind of how the video version of this is manifested, right? Like flashcards. I want you to associate designers with uh, you know some of the the prominent pieces that they've designed. And the groups do that. I mean, you got to sort through the comments and see what the right identification is a lot of the time <laughs> because there's or go some... straight to my phone. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously. Uh, obviously. I, yeah, but uh, yeah. There's a, I, there's a lot more I don't know than I know. <laughs> and that's why that's why yeah. we're doing this. So so let's uh good good segue there. Let's uh let's talk a little bit more macabre. Uh <laughs> what are some uh, some of the other really important pieces and maybe stories behind it that you've uh you've included in the exhibit? Quite a bit of China, um, oh. which I think tells a, a good story because it's something that you use and hold daily yeah uh or or maybe you don't um maybe you got the china as a wedding gift and you only used it once a year uh that was way more common uh yeah. becoming less common but i think those those objects that you use and eat off of there's nothing more intimate than than eating mm. uh, and sharing with company uh than, than the china and so i really tried to show a range of the the patterns that macabre designed for and uh, he just has a ton of shapes with with his china pattern. So I think that one, tells a really good story. Yeah. Um, my first piece that I ever acquired is in the exhibit. Uh, it's a coffee table, part of the planner group. Uh, I was gifted that table um, from a, a family friend. I helped uh, his grandparents move into a senior living facility. And everything in their home was going to be sold in an estate sale. Oh, I didn't wow. know what... I was taking, I was just taking, you know, a coffee table. I thought looked kind of cool. Cool coffee table. Yeah. yeah, Clean I like, lines. yeah sure. I was a senior in college and then, you know, I needed furniture. Uh, and so I grabbed it, got it home, uh, flipped it over, saw the name Palm Cobb. Didn't know who this guy was. <laughs> yeah. Did what little research I could uh, in 2010 about Palm Cobb, what information there was on the internet. Uh, and decided that I, I liked his designs. Bought a, a house right after graduating, a 1951 ranch bungalow, it's 900 square feet, and decided that modern furniture, newly made modern furniture, just didn't fit. Like It's just too big sure. for a 1951 house. That is a great point. I mean, some of this stuff... It just doesn't fit the the newer things I've and and then uh, I also similarly I think I'm 51 as well little like split ranch kind of kind of home uh, we're you know very very thankful to to have purchased the the older stuff just just works better the dimensions are better the depths of the credenzas are uh, more in line with, with sort of what makes sense in the room uh, same with bedrooms were on the small side. Right, so yeah. getting a bedroom set uh, that was all planned to to sort of go together versus some of the oversized fad that's you know happening uh, with bedside tables, for example, mm. it, it just works better. Um, yeah, absolutely, so that's, that's and that, incredible. And that's 
that's why I decided, you know, I got it in the house and decided it, the scale was better. So I just started seeking it out. Uh, and that's your lens for the world, I would imagine, a little bit too, you know, yeah. with, a, with a drafting background. <laughs> like, let's yeah. face this stuff out accordingly. Absolutely. Same mentality. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it snowballed. It really did. You know, I was single guy right out of college, had a little bit of disposable income and uh, with my with my job and uh, just decided to go for it. Um, I would often buy furniture and sell it at a profit and then take those profits so I can buy more furniture. Right. <laughs> uh, I wasn't looking to make yeah. you know, a career out of it, uh, just to have some extra spending money to, to buy more of the things I liked. Yeah. And that was that was my mindset for a decade. Yeah, it takes a while, folks. You know, there's some quick wins out there if you start learning. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I've done the same kind of with guitars a little bit. I've done the same with watches a little bit. Um, you get nerdy about something. You do some homework. Uh, you you you're able to find something that's a little bit undervalued. And, you know, incrementally over a 10 year span, you get up to be a museum exhibitor, right? Is that? That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's great. Um, I don't actually know much about the planner group. Like, wasn't that Macabre's company? Was that, was he the, the key designer there? Um, so, yeah, Macabre, he kind of ran his, his business different than a lot of other designers of the time. Most designers of the time would work for a specific company. Macab was like his own thing. Cool. Uh, he he had partners, um, sure. and then he had, but he never owned a factory. Uh, so everything was mm. um, contracted out. Yep. Uh, so Winchenden uh, Furniture. So company, he did the planning. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he did all the planning. Kind of makes sense. Uh, and he would hire people under him to you know to help him do quite a bit of the planning. Um, he had his, uh, a company called Paul McCobb design associates. And so it, it sort of worked like those madmen companies where, you know, people would come to, to them and say, Hey, we want to do a radio and CBS Columbia, you know, would say, here's your budget. And McCobb would say, okay, here's, uh, the design that I can kind of come up with that for, for them, Bell Very and Howell cool. and quite a few companies that did that good year. Lane was another one, but you know, his bread and butter was a planner group that lasted 15 years and he only really designed from 1949 to 1969 when he, when he died. Just that sweet spot of mid-century modern, right? Yeah. yeah, Very short amount of time. But the tremendous output. Yeah. Yeah, there's does that come with not having to solve for manufacturing problems like does that does that come with having a scope of a business that is about the design and not having to you know um establish uh processes and rules you just outsource that stuff to the to the trusted manufacturers you have i think i think a lot of it was manufacturing at the time too was a lot of it was done in america and yeah. very close to where Macab was, and so he. Where, where was, was he based? He was based in Boston originally, okay. uh, and then New York, uh, and so just the the hub around there uh, yeah. was was just a, a great time for manufacturing, and there was so many smart people in manufacturing that that could turn out things. I mean, we're we're talking about right after World War II, 
yep. everyone knew how to to build things. Uh, and that's uh, mid-century modern furniture came about so easily because of how much manufacturing there was uh, after World War II, um, especially in the United States. Um, yeah. It's the uh, same in Canada as well. I mean, it's pretty much mirrored mm. what happened in the U.S. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's, it was a great period, of course. Also, people after um, the dreary years of the war, the rationing and all the things that took place, not as severe perhaps as it was, say, in, in England or even here in Canada. People wanted new and modern, and Americans built for Americans. Uh, it was, you didn't, you didn't import furniture from China then. You didn't go to the Swedish big box to buy furniture. What's sad about that is, will there be another macabre? Yeah, That's a good I, question. I, I would be shocked uh, if there was. Um, companies flirt with having designers here, and you know, from time to time, Target will pick up a designer. Or, yeah, uh, West Elm will pick it's up a, a designer here and there, and sure. you know, and they they kind of come and go. Uh, but it would, I would be shocked if we ever saw another macabre in our lifetime that that could really do the output that just because of how manufacturing is and uh yeah. manufacturing now is really slow and they we have a lot more approval processes now and rightfully so it's an interesting a lot of way, to, way to look at it yeah a little bit more regulation and, and safety is, and there, because right now here in canada uh canadian furniture manufacturers are uh, really taking a hit like a lot of people a lot a lot of different countries i would assume at chinese imports uh furniture made in china yeah. So the Canadian government decided, okay, we need to level this out because at the prices they can uh, sell these things for, Canadians, uh, Canadian manufacturers couldn't compete. There aren't as many as there used to be. So outrageously, there's a they, Canada just recently applied a tariff to Chinese imports that quadruples the price of them, basically making them toxic wow. to the market. Sure. Um, I don't know if I agree of stripping people away of the choice if they want to buy something. And then forcing them just because it's cheaper to buy something Canadian made. Uh, but I do believe I just, that it should be. I just don't think the logistics uh, in, in many ways are worth it anymore. I, I mean, it's you see what happened anyway. with the, the canal and you, you've seen. I'm, I'm hoping for a backlash. I, I, I support, you know, natively manufactured. Oh, um, certainly all for choice. And, and look, uh, probably me, some of the companies are, that have become behemoths. Have are not going to go away because of that uh, tariff, but I'd I'd like to see some craft coming back. I like I tell you I like you go onto YouTube, you're bored, whatever. Uh, you've had a long hot day and you swore you've finished all of our podcast <laughs> so episodes. You go on, you watch <laughs> old old uh, Prices Right shows, and the furniture. It's a, it's a boy who bedroom suite. It's really, craft dining room suite. Oh, and it's like it's all American cool. made prizes or you know the, the uh, furniture at least was yeah and i'm thinking I, why not now like i love the idea is that look at paul mccobb and sam i'm going to ask you about this can you think of another designer whose designs are more middle american and therefore american than paul mccobb no i i can't think of anyone off the top of my head who did so much for middle America yeah. in design in that time period. And the one thing about that is when you bought a washer and dryer in 1959, that was going to be it. That's the washer and dryer you're probably going to have. It's an investment in, for a long time. Yeah, until they yeah. put you in the ground. And they looked at their furniture that way. I yeah. mean, 
some you know, styles will change and people obviously will sell their old couch for something new. But I doubt very much uh, of the new stuff that you can buy now is going to be, A, going into a museum exhibit or even last long enough to get into a museum exhibit. And the Paul McCobb stuff, when they were buying that, they had a lot of choice. They had a lot of different manufacturers, even designers that were selling somewhat affordable that they could choose from. But that stuff is still around. Uh, Sam, you're using it. You're, you know, you furnished your home respectfully, a smaller ranch house, and you respect the scale of the house. You know, and I can't imagine just crappy furniture going into a well-built house. Uh, so why not good American-made furniture scaled properly to the space? And that's something that's lost now. Uh, and I get it too, because I live in a downtown situation where most people I know, like myself, live in a condo. This condo is very large, but it was built in the 80s and they were just bigger then. And most people, a friend of mine, she just got her first, uh, sorry, her second place. And it is 575 square feet, one bedroom, outrageously expensive. All real estate throughout North America right now is, is really expensive. Yeah. And I actually tried to convince her, look, Go buy some of the Scandinavian designs, the, the nicer, smaller pieces. And I believe I even mentioned, Sam, look at Paul McCobb. There's a lot of it here yeah. in Montreal. A lot of the dealers have Paul McCobb pieces, love the handles, those old ring handles are kind of neat. But she wouldn't have it. She said, no, I'm going to go to Big Box Sweden store. No, I don't want to say the name. But <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just what she did. And that's how do you change, Sam, as a collector of a specifically good quality American piece, how do you convince go about convincing the buyer that it's worth the effort or to even, I mean, you got to get them interested, but you can, always, how do you do it? How do you get them interested? Therefore making it worth the effort for them. It, it is, it is very difficult. And for someone like that, I would try and sway to uh, newly made mid-century modern furniture mm -hmm. that is licensed and correct. Right. Uh, so great. Um, Great lead up here to yeah. uh, <laughs> to your work <laughs> recently. Um, sure. Uh, what John's alluding to it. is uh, I have done some contract work for a company called Form Portfolios, mm -hmm. uh, and they manages licensing for uh, a handful of designers, one of them being Macabre, uh, Rizm, Bodil. The Eameses even have um, some of their licensing with Form Portfolio. Oh, wow. Uh, Bill Curry just did a yep. line design line. Yep. So I would encourage someone to, to look at something like that when they're still getting newly made furniture, but they're true mid-century modern pieces. They're not mid-century modern inspired. No. They're real pieces from that, that time period, you know, they're, it's not used furniture. I've seen people walk into antique stores and say, Oh, this is, this is used furniture. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, it is used furniture, but it, I mean, it's, it's cleaned. And it's been Someone buying a painting, and buying a like a two hundred year old painting at auction, doesn't look down their nose at it going, "It's That's used. a used painting." Yeah. <laughs> so I would just try and encourage someone to to at least start with newly made, true mid century modern pieces. Herman Miller and Knoll, and uh, you know, they've been churning out the same mid-century modern pieces since since the beginning the beginning continuous production yeah, yeah hope, and hope they don't get complacent but yeah <laughs> yeah but at least you know you get a warranty with it whereas sure. if you're you know you're buying something from an antique store or a dealer you, you may not get a warranty sure. um so mm -hmm. at least you get you know and and mm -hmm. new fabric materials offer um yep. technology some, you know, technology is inherently mid-century modern I, I i try to sometimes apply those common themes um, 
that helped to define the the design style to two more contemporary approaches, right? Uh, technology was embraced, I would say. Uh, innovative materials certainly embraced both in architecture and decor and furniture. If somebody is sticking to that recipe and capturing the essence of what they did historically, you know, I, I certainly think it's worth worth checking out. How was your involvement like specifically? Was it um, taking some of the pieces you had and converting that into um, like CAD or, or drafted uh, files so they could use? Was it more of historical? Yeah, right. So I mean, it's it's a mix of both. Okay. Um, I mean, ideally we would like to have the, the original object in front of us and I can take measurements from it. Sure. Uh, and then now they have all sorts of 3d up. scanners too. If you get, get real crazy with the manufacturers, right? You just yeah. give them a piece and they do what they got to do with the lasers and <laughs> get, yeah. get an output. Like parts made that way. Oh, wow. Uh, cool. Just, uh, like a, a speaker mount or something like that, which is made wow. out of aluminum and it's split, take it in, they scan it and they mill it and polish it and they have a brand new one. So. Wow. Yeah. I don't have to do it myself and waste, <laughs> yeah. and waste hundreds of dollars. <laughs> but sometimes we're not lucky to have that. Um, right. CB2 has come out with a, a lampshade that we have only seen a couple of times in pictures. Uh, and so for that, we take those images and we take uh, known dimensions. So sure. um, the risers on a lamp. You know, we know that that's going to be about a half inch or yeah. three quarters of an inch. And so you can scale that image based on that known dimension and then trace the design and then, you know, make some assumptions from yeah. that. Uh, and the way, you know, Macabre made lighting, uh, the internals may be different than the way we want to make them now. We may want to make them a little bit more safer or... Sure. Um, you know, it, now we can add a three-way switch and maybe then he didn't have one on there, uh, or something was, can be hardwired now and it wasn't then, yep. um, you know, so we, we kind of have some, uh, play with the internals of, of things with manufacturing. Uh, but as long as you get the overall aesthetic, correct, totally. you know, but I mean, that, ideally, as long as all goes well, right. Um, that should be the best of both worlds, bit more reliability, um, up to all the standards and codes that we appreciate today, but real true commitment to, you know, the, the history and the design. Um, and it sounds like quite a bit of detective art and science, right. And detective work went into, uh, to creating those pieces. That is, that is really cool. You know, again, how does that come up? Somebody from form portfolios reach out. Or- yes. So form portfolios is a pretty small company. There's about six people that work for them full time. They brought on uh, Jonathan Goldstein at first as a consultant, and then sure. he quickly brought me in because he knew my abilities Tag in drafting. Team. And <laughs> yep, uh, so he knew that I knew most of everything that he knows, uh, and I know how to draw. So right. uh, that's that's how I got brought in. And, uh, yeah, and, and actually going all the way back, it seems like what you you really first started to do was draw and or draft depending on the program you were using uh and and create stickers yeah so is that the case and prints stickers are are fairly new okay Uh, not let's see (laughs) nice (laughs) sticker plug there yeah um order them up on etsy right yeah so 
When I first started working for the engineering firm that I do, like most new hires, you sometimes have some downtime. Uh, you're not always busy. Sure. Uh, and uh, so I would I would sketch out macabre designs. I didn't have really a rhyme or reason, uh, but I thought they were cool. And so I would sit there and draw them in my free time. Uh, and then I sort of amassed a collection of macabre blocks that I was doing nothing with. Sure. Uh, and uh, was like, well, I should I should probably do something with some of this see if somebody wants you know pay attention to these uh that i've amassed sure and uh you kind of just have to feel out the market right you kind of wait for a deal on some of these sticker websites and you say okay well that price looks uh finally affordable and yeah uh, i was like well i'll I'll give it a go right and so do you use sticker mule because i wait for those too yeah all right we'll we'll tag them and do whatever but we we like your (laughs) deal sticker mule it's like a commercial for sticker mule yeah (laughs) great quality though i gotta say it's quick turnarounds all right sorry yeah, no, they've been band they've stickers. Been great. <laughs> Anything with band, you know, or one of your obsessions. I feel like that's how people how get into into design. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I got a, I got a little back pocket <laughs> deal going, guys. Uh, totally organic, but so, no, that's, yeah, that's great. With with the stickers and the screen prints, there just wasn't a lot of newly made accessible designs in the market for yeah. for Macab in the art in that world. The the hundred dollars or less macabre world uh and so i, I kind of wanted to just test the market yeah see see what was out there and you know i don't think i could retire on any of the stuff that i'm selling sure. uh but it's fun and yeah. it's gotten me more connected with the design community which is uh which has been a huge plus i've, I've been enjoying that part yeah i mean you you put the rod out there and you see see what kind of conversations. Yeah. I mean, that's ultimately what we're, what we're doing here. The idea is to make yourself available to those who have a similar interest. Right. And I would say, yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that type of networking, right. I feel like I've been in sales for a while. I feel like that type of networking that, that is super forced can get a, a bad rap. And it's like, no, just, just put some feelers out, see who responds See who will answer your 20th email. Uh, thanks again, DC. And, uh, you know, then then create something and, and magic can really happen. Um, and, and you know, big month, man. Like, <laughs> some, so, some, so, Sam, if I may ask, when is the book sure. coming out? What's that? The book? When is, when is the book? Oh, out? man. Uh, that is that's that's a, great a great question. question. I. The, Jonathan Goldstein has been tasked with that since the beginning. He he's been number one. I'll I'll probably take that over here pretty soon if if he doesn't ever get going on it. I'm not a writer, but I could definitely help edit something if someone wants to help take that task on. See, I, here's I've heard so many people, and I've met, met a lot of other authors, design art books, uh, who are just they're experts or they're enthusiasts in most cases of a certain field. And it's hard, and I write every day, but when I started to write the first book, it was very difficult to find a a purchase point. Where do I, how do I leap? Where do I, where am I leaping from? So I just started talking about why I like this stuff. And from there, it becomes quite germane as far as the flow of writing goes. And I can always tell if somebody's writing from a basis of knowledge and personal passion Versus someone who's simply writing about something academically. Yeah. I will always take lesser well-written material 
with passion any day because mm. this is what this is uh, to collect something and to be to the point of obsessive about collecting these things. That's what you want to tap into. That's what the book is, or the show, or the documentary, whatever. That's what that is. And if you don't have that, I always say don't bother. You know. Yeah. So you'd be the perfect one, Sam, to write the book. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you, DC. Yeah, we can we can all verify here. It's coming from the right place. <laughs> um, absolutely. No, uh, Sam. I mean, it's it's been awesome. Um, two two more quick little things. Sure. If somebody wanted to collect their first macabre piece even like what would you recommend some keywords that they search or like you know that that second level of of detail that they might not know um where to go is it planner is it perimeter i i would start broad okay i would just start by searching macabre and i would start searching it with incorrect spellings as well <laughs> yeah. oh uh, yeah if you're trying to get a deal yeah pro, pro tip um yeah just leave the paul out in the macabre world, there's not that many macabs out there. You can filter out the the few baseball players or <laughs> sure. authors or whatever that also share a macabre name. He's small enough that you have that luxury of just searching for macabre and you'll get a ton of hits. Um, but then search for other things like directional, directional. or directional furniture. Sure. Uh, and then some of the brands that he worked for, like Lane. What's the What's the Lane line that he he worked? So on? he did it three. A few? Yeah, he did three uh, furniture lines for I Lane. I didn't know this. Uh, let's see if I can remember. Signature components and um, someone's gonna shoot me for not remembering <laughs> the third one. I keep everything in a in a. Got uh, a phone phone, Jonathan. A, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so they they were you know midline sure. range furniture part uh, of the part of the journey though part of the story absolutely just, and then just start searching for those other keywords like mutchler um or uh cbs columbia l anton makes uh the other fabric brands or cool. riverdale um those pop up so just keep your your, your yeah i've never heard open. of any of this so that's that's yeah. second level <laughs> yeah cool <laughs> dc is like come on john uh wow that's very cool. Any any quick flash of uh, a couple chair models that you really really love? Um, I really love uh, Planner fifteen thirty five. That may be his most iconic chair. It's the one that I have made sure. a sticker of. Yeah, uh, it's hard to say what is iconic in Macab's world because he did so much. Sure. Um, I really love the high back chair for the Predictor group. I think that one's really classy, cool chair. Anything with in the symmetric group is really cool. That's that's probably more DC's uh, speed. The more curvy lines, more uh, 1960s sort of feel, bright colors. Those, wait, those are probably I the top actually. Three. I mean, I don't actually, understand the chair. The I do like. Sorry for me. Oh yeah, I, go for the it. The chair. I, I think it's like the strangest looking chair, but I really like it. It's the shovel chair. Yeah, that's that's a great looking chair you'll never see another chair like is that, that the same as the origami chair i feel like they look like no. shovels maybe not okay <laughs> it's like a, i think it's a it's a ladder backed and the seat curves upwards at either edge um either side just it's a neat look to it it's a neat balance to it there haven't been too many macabre knockoffs in the modern world no but that one did get knocked off there huh. was uh someone in the new york area who was was making knockoffs of that chair because the dealer was trying to sell a set of four knockoffs here as real ones 
I'm going, those are real. They never got out of the box. Um, Luckily, so- we have the meme lords for that. Shout out to to Northwest there. They've been supporting <laughs> us. We've I don't even know who this person is, but we've been we've been chatting on Instagram here and there. So the the one last thing here, I sure. do want to try to try to make that more formal uh, in the in the podcast moving forward. Who would you nominate to to bring on the the perspective podcast that you can help you know put us in touch with? I I really want to hear more from Quit uh, Chris Wang. Uh, he is the other admin for the Mid Century Modern Group. Uh, he, he has, uh, a, a, probably a more interesting backstory, uh, than I do, uh, for sure. Uh, I think he's a super interesting guy and I would love to hear more from him if he's willing and able. Does he, I, I think I follow him. Is, is he into ceramics? Is that part he, of, yeah, uh, part of his he, collection? Okay. Yeah. He loves weed pots. <laughs> yeah. And, him and, and Seth Rogen will try to also, try to have on. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, sure, I'm, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but wasn't he also in a hip hop group? He was, uh, yeah. Yeah, he was part of a trio uh, called uh, the Mountain Brothers or the Mountain Bros or cool. something. Um, yeah, based out of Philadelphia. And hey, Sam, thank you so much. It's thank been you guys awesome. So much for having me. Um, you nice. know, really you. appreciate it. Congrats, Congrats on on yeah, manifesting so. all of this. Um, and and keep it up. Thank you. Call me anytime. Yeah, we'll do. <laughs> all righty. Take care. Have a good night, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and learning more about Paul McCobb. As you can see, if you do your homework and stay committed to your craft, you can reach great heights in something you're truly passionate about. If you happen to be in and around the Kansas City area, stop by Sam's exhibit. And right now, go give him a follow at Samuel Hildreth on Instagram. Briefly, we really love what we're doing and hope you do as well. If you have a moment to tell a mid-century loving friend about our podcast and go subscribe yourself, we'd really appreciate it. Thank you for being with us and stay tuned until the next mid-century. Mid-century.